Hello, this is Ruslan Malinovsky. Hello, this is Roman Yeremchuk. Hello, I'm Sergey Rebro. And you're listening to Ukraine Post Football. Welcome to Ukraine Plus Football, the home of Ukrainian football in English language. And Ukraine has done it again. For a Halloween special, they've come up with some spooky and strange, mysterious things. Joining me this week, as always, to discuss them, my two excellent co-hosts, Andrew. And as well, we've got Ray joining us, looking from a very distant lens this time. And we're really happy to welcome Irina. Good evening, Irina. Thanks for whizzing to your hotel in Warsaw ahead of the games this week. You've you've seemed to be travelling non-stop this autumn. How you been keeping? Uh, hello, friends. Very happy for invitation. Very happy to see you and um, to have an opportunity to speak. Oh uh, yes, Adam. This event is a little bit unusual, a little bit crazy, as all my colleagues couldn't have an opportunity to travel abroad. So all games, it's now my responsibility, and I was so lucky to visit all five games Shakhtar in this Champions League. And uh, now I'm in Warsaw, uh, excited, uh, ready for the, the last battle for the playoff of Champions League. Uh, it's really something amazing and I um, hope for the best result in, in that game. What's been your take on it? Because you've had, like you said, front row seats for Shakhtar all this uh, autumn. And I mean, let's start off with the game last week in Glasgow. In, from you, how impressed have you been with Shakhtar and this Champions League group stage this time around? Absolutely impressed. You know, if, if before the season, uh, some of foreign colleagues, some journalists from the Athletic and the other foreign media asked me about the prediction for the season. And I was very careful with the words. You know, like, oh, the team will fight, <laughs> will, they will show the best, will put the 100% on the football field. But um, I really didn't expect such a great game and such a great result. The team playing much better than we expect, than, the, than they should be. It's a little bit um, very great result. You know, some like kind of fairy tale. Because Ukrainian team with uh, Ukrainian players in the squad making a really amazing result. And of course, with a good game. If to speak about the game in Glasgow, it was unbelievable atmosphere. And I would say that this game was most atmosphere in all group stage. Uh, mostly because of uh, wonderful Celtic fans and uh, full house in Glasgow. And of course, a good result. It was a draw, but for Ukrainian team, it was like a little bit taste like a win, a great win. Because anyway, Shakhtar will play in the playoff of European Cup. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is it. Spring football. It's what's all 
all it's about. Now, I mean, Arena, am I right? Did did one of your journalistic friends cause some trouble in the pre-match press conference with the manager of Celtic and has gone viral this week with his uh, uh, question? I am so proud of Andrew and his question. It was a brilliant moment of this press conference, one of the best. And I even wrote in my report that it was uh, like star time for Andrew uh, because he like make a little bit noise. And uh, as I understand, everybody in um, Scotland and maybe in Great Britain spoke about that, that question and the reaction for the coach. For me, it was a good job for of a journalist. So, like, for me, it's like, Andrew, well done. Good work. A lot has been spoken about it this week, so let's hear it from the, the horse's mouth. It sort of went how I intended it to, in terms of some noise was made about the question, and that was that, why are Shakhtar fans being made to pay £60 for a ticket in the away end, when, obviously, we know the current circumstances that Ukrainian people the majority of them being refugees across the UK, find themselves in. And on top of that, Shakhtar charged £36 for their away end ticket. Yes, there's the context of, oh, it's in Poland, so it should be cheaper anyway. But regardless, I think there should be some sort of, how do we say, reciprocation uh, when it comes to pricing like that, in my opinion. Uh, so Shakhtar obviously were being, well, Shakhtar fans were being made to, to be charged £60, which is the UEFA away end cap um in that stand and i just thought well there's no point in trying to get someone from celtics hierarchy or whatever <clears throat> to give a comment of some banal kind of uh response why not ask the manager who i knew he can be a bit of a difficult character and he can come up with slightly fierce responses he called me mischievous for asking it maybe i was i knew that i wouldn't probably get an answer out of him because he's not someone to be known for speaking out on certain issues like that but uh his response probably inadvertently aided the question to go viral on tiktok and over two million views on the question lots of people discussing it some people completely missing the point of it saying oh but uh, celtic fans are being charged 60 quid as well and then basically it should be getting a conversation going about why on earth um the prices are that high anyway uh, one guy even, you know, I stopped responding to most Celtic fans because they were completely missing missing the point um, and muted it just entirely because I think the job was done to get the conversation going. But, you know, luckily, uh, Shakhtar and the few hundred fans that were in the stadium, I saw a photo of the away end the next day that someone took a photo of. And apparently uh, Celtic had invited about a few hundred refugees from local areas but it didn't look like a lot of them had turned up in my opinion even if the tickets were free and maybe if they were slightly more affordable you know down to that under 40 pound mark we would have seen a lot more locals um that would have turned up but hey ho that's that's that done uh a solid draw that Shakhtar got a result that was the minimum and you could say the maximum that was needed to set up the final group stage game against RB Leipzig uh, in Warsaw. It's going to be heavy handed. It's going to be difficult, but Czechdown need a win. And that's that's all that's needed. Quite right. Quite right. Ray, uh, many years ago, 
ago when we first started on this podcast and we first started talking about Mr. Mudrick, many people said that when Mudrick is on the field, Shakhtar need one ball for him and one ball for everyone else to play. Now, after watching the Celtic game, surely Mudrick should be passing the ball a little bit less now and finishing off chances by himself. Would you agree with me there? Um, no, not at all, Adam, because football is a team play, you know, and uh, capitalising on uh, what uh, we usually say about football, like, you know, square pitch, a, a round ball. <laughs> so that leads up to the team game. And Hans Mudrik uh, is, um, well, I wouldn't say that he's becoming a one-man out there, uh, but it's, it's definitely, it definitely needs to show in the last game, uh, the vital game, as it always happens in the Champions League with us. We need that final game, and it, all, it comes down to it. And in that point, uh, maybe, because the expectations are that high, uh, and that's a lot of injuries are in the Shakhtar squad right now, uh, Mudrik might perform differently, and that's the concern. And I, I'm pretty sure that's what's going to happen. Because like, let's let's don't have any illusions. Uh, if you don't win uh, before, then you won't win in the end. It's not like it's not what happens with us. It's not like a um, a thing that um, trails us, like Sikan miss, right? Or like the last minute goal when Truben hit Rudiger. It should be that kind of drama all the time. And we cannot escape it. And I mean, we did it pretty well already. And that's what Juvicic uh, expressed after Celtic game. He was uh, look. He looked like as if he won the Champions League. And that's fine. I mean, at some point we should be, you know, uh, stop before it's too late, and uh, and get, and once again capitalize on what we have. Yeah, quite right. I, Irina Andrew. Are you concerned about, I mean, obviously Zubkov picked up the injury at the weekend uh, as well. Are you concerned about the injuries going into this game? Uh, to be honest, yeah, a little bit worried about because um, it was game against Alexandria. I even uh, asked before the Juvicevic, why are you don't do the same as like twice before? Just uh, made this game to play later. Uh, because now it's a price for that game for Leipzig very high. You know, it's one step more and the team will be in Champions League. It's, can you imagine the country in the middle of the war? Like the team traveling all the time across the board, spending uh, a, a day to get to the to the city, uh, like for a home game. To, it, it will be home game against Leipzig, but today team was all day on the road. And it would be probably better to save the players their health uh, because even if this like air signal stopped, it was for half an hour. And after that, Zubkov get uh, an injury on the field. Maybe it was one of the reasons he got injured. And if uh, the, this game was postponed, probably he would be healthy and ready to, to play against Leipzig and he in a good shape. He scored very important goals against Real Madrid and Dynamo Kiev in, in UPL. Uh, but now we had quite a lot of important players who had injuries and Jovicevic couldn't let on him. But still, um, this team, I think this team had a, had a chance and the strength to, to win this game. You know, they learned us uh, for drama, like Ray said, mm -hmm. for some... Uh, strong spirit 
how many it a lot of games that they uh, missed a goal, but then in the second half or after that, they score and make a draw or even take a win. So everything is possible, and maybe we we will see some you know uh, some um, some underdog, some a player who was in a shadow, and uh, he will make a result. And of course, we had still Mudrik, you know, and Trubin. <laughs> Today I saw Trubin and like joke, like I like your save so much, even better than Mudrik's goals. <laughs> so like, please <laughs> have a good game. <laughs> like made made this. Uh, Give us this uh, happiness, little bit of happiness, and uh, one more 19 uh, minutes for normality, for a normal life. You mentioned Mudrick there. Andrew, was it 100 million he was quoted for this week or something like that? I, Arsenal supporters seem to go in a meltdown over, over the prices being quoted now. Yeah, so the deputy sport director of uh, Shakhtar, uh, as far as I'm aware, Carlo Nicolini, he said that in an interview of Italian TV that uh, Shakhtar are looking for around the same price as Anthony uh, cost United, so around 100 million euros. He said that Arsenal and Man City are one of, well, two of a number of different clubs that are looking at him. And I'm sure that what it's going to come down to is not anyone meeting the amount of money now, it's just whoever's going to pay the most. And I'm sure that there's going to be a big bidding war and the likes. But how I see it is that Mudrik's future depends on, uh, well, near future, whether he will leave in January or in the summer, will all depend on whether Shakhtar make it through in the Champions League. So if they make it to the knockout rounds, then, you know, well, I think that Mudrik will stay at least until the summer. Uh, if they don't and they get some big bid in, during January, then he'll move move on. But you know, it, it all depends on what happens, and also potentially on the draw that Shakhtar will get, uh, which the draw is going to be on the seventh of November. So next week, regarding the actual knockout round. So even if they make it to the Europa League and they get some sort of big opposition, then he might stay as a result of that. And on top of that, there's also been news at the start of this week that Roberto De Zerbi is interested in uh, Mikola Matvienko and he wants to bring him to Brighton and the Amex in the winter. Apparently, uh, Shakhtar sort of looking for around 20 million euros. And for me, I think it would be quite a cool move. Um, He'd be going into a side that requires a left centre-back. Similarly, he'd be doing well to sort of adapt into the Premier League at you could say a mid-table side that could even be challenging for Europe. And then we'll see what happens uh, in the future regarding that. But it's all very interesting from our perspective um, with regards to where Shakhtar will end up with the Champions League, etc. And whether Shakhtar will actually let them go. I just want to follow up on what Irena was talking about. So she mentioned that obviously Shakhtar in their, their previous sort of two Champions League games this season... Uh, they had the UPL matches postponed on the match day leading up to it. And so they've already had, going up to this weekend, they already had two matches that have been postponed, which means that they're going to be playing, I think, two games into December. And I think the reason for the third one is probably that they just couldn't fit it in 
anywhere else. Maybe maybe they could. Um, I think it might be a good question to ask Vucevic uh, in the press conference on Tuesday about that. Um, but I'm, I'm sure it's just literally the calendar couldn't fit anymore or, you know, either Alexandria were just like, nah, I'm sorry, we've already got some games to play as well. Uh, and we sort of can't, we can't be going on for forever uh, into, you know, Christmas Day per se. And I 100% agree that possibly, you know, due to that one hour and a half delay that Shakhtar had during the air raid sirens in their two-all draw against Alexandria. Speaking of Halloween, Alexandria very much Shakhtar's bogey team at the moment. Really, I uh, think it's the past six games where Shakhtar have got one win. Uh, three draws and two wins for Alexandria. So that just says a lot about how well Alexandria are playing. And I even, um, I think uh, one of our listeners, Roman, mentioned on Twitter that he's quite, he would like Alexandria to finish in the European spots because they look like a team on paper and in their performances that probably could get through the qualifying rounds of the maybe conference league or so and put in a good showing in the competition compared to the likes of what we're seeing from Vorskla, who who did win this week, but still, you know, completely unpredictable. Um, Zoria, also completely unpredictable. So, yeah, uh, fingers crossed that Alexandra can continue in this uh, positive light um, after scraping some points off the big boys. Wow, looking... Uh, I'm not going to say a shoe-in, but... One of the favourites for a Champions League spot now is the the unmentionable team, uh, the minus ones, who, as I'll refer to them now, who, as it stands at time of recording, five points clear, although they've played one game more in the UPL. We would never have said it if you'd asked any anybody who'd ever watched a game of Ukrainian football in their entire life, they would not have predicted that at this stage of the season. Andrew, why is it? I don't know. I just think they're just getting they're just getting the games done. They've got very good in-game management in the Ukrainian Premier League. They score goals or score a few goals and then seal the game off. For example, they beat Trodden Moritz 1-0. Bit of a hard slog, in all honesty, but they got it over the line. Similarly, uh, they've beaten Lviv in recent weeks, 3-2. And then the week before, um, I can't remember who they beat, but it's basically there are getting, you know, victories all the time. And it just seems that they are beating what is in front of them compared to the likes of what we've seen Dynamo earlier on this season, where they really struggle to create chances and score goals against, I guess, well-organised defences. Whereas... <clears throat> Dipro one, you always seem that there's going to be a goal coming out of somewhere. And on the most part, in the UPL anyway, they're quite solid defensively. <laughs> However, when it comes to Europe, that I think is uh, another question all, altogether. Um, but yeah, like I mean... Step look, up in standard, isn't it, in the conference league? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, they've got a lot to thank for from uh, Alexander Pichalionok who's been sort of Frank Lampard-esque this, uh, this season, you know, scoring goals from here, there and everywhere and very much, you know, taking it upon himself as sort of that leading uh, central midfielder. 
uh, on top of Dolbeck's goals too. They've also got a lot of injuries over the past few weeks, which could have an impact coming into this sort of final stretch before the winter break. We'll see how that impacts them because they've lost Domingo Blanco, I think, until the end of the year, which is a big loss. He was like literally one of their best players when he was playing. Um, I think Hutsolak might have a bit of an injury, Hromov as well, but Hromov, in my opinion, not much of a loss in the grand scheme of things. But but we'll see what happens there because they've got uh, a few games outside of Ushorod, I think a couple of them. And as we mentioned, when they played against Zuruch and, you know, half the team didn't turn up, that might happen two more times if they are going to be playing outside. So we have to wait and see whether they can sort of keep this up. But five points clear, albeit technically you could say with a game, with a game extra, so Shakhtar could catch them up, but, you know, a completely unpredictable season. You don't know what's going to happen. Definitely so, definitely so. And we're up, so how did they look on Thursday? I know you watched the game against uh, Aplon. Impressive. Still, again, was it down to game management? No, it was absolutely that. So they looked quite good in the first half and then... Second half, it was like backs against the wall trying to hold off Apollon. So it was it was a strange, it's just strange. And it's it's similar to what we've seen against those two matches they played against Vaduz. Um, they got a very tough game in their final match against AZ away, but they're still very much in it. If they win, if they win, they they win the group. And obviously that's quite a big positive because they go straight to I think the round of 16 compared to the round of 32 where a load of people from the Europa League drop down into the third place teams. That won't be Dynamo um, dropping down into. And then we'll see who <clears throat> how who who wins out of those ones. So it's, it's gonna be it's gonna be tough. Um and we'll see how they do. But you know, with these injuries, I think it's gonna be very difficult, in my opinion. And AZ quite well organized. They just need a draw, really, and I'm sure that they probably might even play for that coming Thursday. I'll be more than happy with a 1-0 win to the minus ones and let AZ take the group. It's all about the coefficient when we talk about the unmentionables, isn't it? And that's that's what it's all about. And they are because uh, Dinamo continue to be a mess, don't they? Um, although, in the, in the spirit of all things spooky, they did manage to win this weekend, if I'm right. And Three goals, another centre forward scoring as well. Vanat, how did he look today? Yeah, he did score a goal. But I wouldn't say that he would provide the difference. Uh, and that's uh, like there was a, a hypothesis going on that would uh, would uh, um, what what would happen if he started uh, since match day one? Uh, nothing, all the same. And I think like he was starting at some point. I remember him in uh, like friendlies and qualifications but um he dropped out then and now he's back for one for one good game Rusin had a good game once as well for Dynamo so like um it's a complex uh, issue and it doesn't it wouldn't be it won't be solved by um Vanat and uh, Bujalski's uh um standard performance well but still you have Sidorchuk you have Zavarni on his own mind and all the other guys so good for Vanat but in general it's um it's a no-go it's just a mess isn't it I mean Irina you've 
you've been in a lot of press conferences with Dynamo as well, haven't you, this uh, this autumn? Lechescu, what's going on with him? I mean, I've read the quote that he said after the game last week that, was it, we will show that we are best team in the group, that we deserve to be the first seed in the group in the game against Fenerbahce this week? To, to be honest, uh, I'm this even more... Uh watching the press conference of Igor Yevichovic <laughs> than, than Mr. Luchescu. <laughs> but <laughs> but I, I understand what I mean, uh, what I'm talking about. Yeah, a couple of times I saw Luchescu and um, I'm a little bit worried about him because I uh, like didn't see the Luchescu, like uh, that nowadays Luchescu, it's not the same like was, for example, maybe last season. Uh, the season when the team really was on top and uh, get good results and become a champion uh, of, of Ukraine. And like, um, I think globally, it's very difficult for him to handle with the war condition. It's not so easy. Uh, not everybody can like deal with it, with this pressure, with this new, new reality. And in the last press conference, I think uh, he started to talk very openly for the press and give us um, messages. And uh, he uh, like understood his mistakes. Even like uh, today's press conference, um, he said like something like this, that we should take a training camp at Lodz, for example. Before that, he talked that uh, probably we should do like uh, to take Ukrainian players from get back from the Europe or from get back from alone. Uh, so I think he understood the mistakes uh, with the team and the, maybe he personally and the management in, in general, the club made uh, and uh, they uh, it's a reason of the, there's this uh, gap of a bad results and uh, generally what happened in the team. Uh, it was very um, interesting on the, after the Classico um, to, you know, to compare Luchescu and Juvicevic because um, Luchescu, it was uh, just my like opinion of what I saw. He hadn't so much like more energy to, to rule this team. Maybe not, uh, not new ideas, uh, and it's really difficult for them, you know, even it's for me, uh, like very difficult to all these transfers or roads. Sometimes you got up in, in, in this hotel in the new city and you uh, start to remember what the, what the kind of city this, like where are you, where are you now? <laughs> you really want to get some rest. And can you understand it, that for the football teams, uh, it's a really big challenge, you know, opposite uh which came you know full energy it was full uh, full mm -hmm. energy like optimistic uh, uh, was full of strength so mm, maybe this is like one of the reason what really happened with the team that Luchescu um it's difficult for him to uh, to get used to this uh, uh war of football I would say like this, but he's like, don't give up. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, uh, we had to respect this, that it will be maybe easier to say, okay, 
I don't, uh, it's difficult, I should go. But no, he like pushing and trying to, and trying to make some, maybe to, to, to save the team and make bad results or find the reason what was wrong. Maybe in the next, uh, like the, the second part of the season, we will see another Dynamo and another Luchesco. Yeah. Do you think the players seem to be feeding off him as well at the moment? They don't seem to be fully with it as well. Maybe, maybe, yeah, but maybe also full enough of the club, you know, of the management of the club. Because Luchescu, you know, any good coaches, Luchescu, like we can put any kind of name. If the club, system of the club don't work, it would be very difficult for everybody. Like, you know, for, for you, for me, for Guardiola, <laughs> for Mourinho, uh, for Klopp. So the whole system should work. Just, just a little chip in. Uh, it seems like um, Dynamo have downloaded to FIFA career mode and they play in it. They buy players, they take players on loan, they put them in the squad and that's it. But for a proper club system, you should play football manager. And they did not download that version. So too bad for them. I mean, the, the main issue I think is that that Dynamo, I don't know, they're in some sort of weird limbo. It's like the first sign of madness is repeating the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. And that's seemingly what I think a lot of people can ask of Luchescu. What has he been doing this year? He's been playing more or less the same lineup every game. Uh, Ray touched on Vanat not being too good, but he's been, in my opinion, a breath of fresh air in the past four games. Um, scoring some good goals, uh, showing a lot more movement in the box, which is exactly what Dynamo need uh, from a centre forward. However, the issue I think elsewhere is, you know, creating chances, uh, just looking coherent, having a playing style. Uh, I was watching a video with um, Andri Senkiv the other day, and he basically said that there is no game plan for Dynamo Kiev. They just literally go out on the pitch and it's like a win. <laughs> That's essentially what Luchescu tries to put out. And, you know, playing the same players every week when they've just lost consecutive games or whatever, whatever's gone on or, you know, got one point out of five matches in the Europa League when you're top seed, you get in and you take and you've lost sort of a loss and a, a draw against the bottom seed and seeded side in the group and you're sitting bottom, you're out of Europe. And Luchescu coming out with the fact saying that, hey, we can still show that we're the best team in the group if we get a win against Fenerbahce. I mean, yeah, maybe from team morale, he's saying that maybe the players will pick up on that, but I don't think it's going to help anyone or it's even real. It's just not even realistic. It's just sort of complete delusional, sadly. Uh, I think I had a rant on the last episode about Dynamo Kiev uh, and here I am again, but it, it's just a problem. Uh, we've not seen the likes of Paris uh, coming on. We've not seen Diallo coming on when we both know that they could be showing something different. Uh, Lonvike, of course, uh, both of them, both Paris and Lonvike have come on as subs in the previous uh, UPL games and they've shown a bit, but then they're still on the bench the next game after. So it's, it's all a bit weird and strange. Oh, wow. Dennis Hadamash has a great game against Larnaca, comes on, scores, scores two goals. And then he's in the starting lineup for the next game. And it's just like, yes, they beat Kribbas, but Kribbas, no offence to all our friends there, but they've been terrible this season. Like, like Kribbas, I'm not sure exactly what's going on there. I think they probably uh, need the winter break to come to fully sort of 
I don't know, prepare for, for the next half of the season. But uh, Dinamo are just way off it. And I mean, Irena said we might see a different Luchescu in the second half of the season. Yeah, because it's not going to be Luchescu. It's definitely going to be someone else, in my opinion. <laughs> Uh, you're quite right. But I mean, Andrew, you just said there, was it a sign of madness is repeating the same mistakes over and over again? But last year wasn't brought in from Venezuela and never played. Kulach brought in and never played. And that on the bench last day seemed, it's, it's not just the tactics this year. It's, 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 it is a, a long standing problem with the club and transfers and everything just seemed to be. They don't seem to be in the interest of actually building a team more than building something else, which probably won't be mentionable. Uh, but Priadon, Metalist, could he be a solution to the striker problem or is he going to the unmentionables if Dogbick leaves? Well, no, Priadon's had a good start to the season. I think he's top of the goal-scoring chart so far. Came from Olympic and he's looking good. Uh, I think that possibly... What's going to happen in the winter is that Dovic will be given the chance to to leave if the right offer comes to Dipro one. And then maybe Peixoto, who obviously is a Metalist player, he's currently on loan at a Brazilian side. Um, he's there until obviously December and then he can come back to Ukraine. I don't think he's going to be staying at Metalist. I think he'll be coming into Dipro one uh, in the winter. So they'll have a backup striker per se. And then, you know, possibly we might even see Priadun come in, uh, if need be, if need be. I don't know, but Priadun is probably, you know, someone to keep an eye out for. Maybe even Petrikov is keeping tabs on him, whether he can be sort of a third, fourth choice uh, striker uh, in the current uh, Zbina side. Mm. Interesting. Now, I mean, Andrew, Irina, we've been giving you a lot of credit for all the, the excellent work and the hard work you've been doing throughout this. Uh, autumn, but I haven't seen either of you attend two separate press conferences at the same time to report on two separate matches at the same time, have I? So you're not quite in the same league as one certain gentleman. Am I right? It's, it's even difficult for me to comment this one because from one side, I know Yuri Kirichenko personally. And when I saw this, uh, like comments of uh, Viktor Vatsko about that, uh, yeah, one commentator working um, at the same time on two games, I saw it like a joke. Like, how can it possibly even be? You know, for me, it's difficult to do some two jobs at the same time. I could do only some, some only one job at the same time. So, I I can't imagine that it's real. It was real. Uh, but then Tribuna also make a big uh, text about that. Uh, and in the end, the Yuri uh, lost his job in, in uh, Setanta. So basically, uh, Yuri Kirichenko, he did do a quick interview with uh, Brutal Football. So it was actually quite informative. I watched it all. He basically said that due to the circumstances he found himself in on that day, yeah, there was sort of no alternative to you know, pass one of the games off or have no commentary on one of them. He said that he wouldn't do it again, of course, in terms of he wouldn't recommend anyone doing it themselves either. Um, and yeah, I think he's got regrets, but it's just, that's just how it is. Obviously, um, it's quite a unique thing 
to say the least because in like for example an audience outside of ukraine would be like what the heck fair enough and i think i think the only thing that's sadly missing is um sort of seeing it live in terms of like someone clipping it and posting it but sadly i don't think we're ever going to see that because that's sort of in the archives of satanta and magogo um but you know i think the only sort of negative of this whole scenario was that kirichenko lost his job with satanta which he was working with them for five years and he mentioned in the sort of interview that he lives quite close to the studio so he used to be sort of their emergency commentator as well so if there was anyone ever sick or anything like that he'd be sort of the first guy that comes in so satanta have lost out there um for the time being i think he is still working for magogo um, so at least at least he has still got um, some other jobs and he does lots of commentating on like hockey and like Dynamo channels and lots of other stuff. So um, fingers crossed everything goes out well with him, you know, in the future regarding that. But uh, yeah, a very unique scenario. And if anyone who wants to know the games that he was commentating on, I think he was commentating on Fenerbahce versus uh, Fatih Karamaguklu and that match finished 5-4. There was quite a lot of content going on in that game, uh, whilst the other game he was commentating on, uh, Stuttgart versus Union, I think that ended 1-0. So evidently there there was room for less commentary in one and uh, more commentary on another. But um, hey-ho, the, the unique world of uh, Ukrainian football and unique stories strikes again. So, sorry, I just want... Just I want to put you on the spot right here. Yes, yes, yes. sorry, just wondering... Um, what were the pauses? Because I heard that he commented 15 minutes here and there, or he made a two-minute pause between each to uh, sort of um, mute himself here and switch to another match. How long were the pauses? Yeah, I think it was like a two-minute thing that there was, it was to make it as less obvious as possible, if that makes sense. But <laughs> sadly, someone tipped off that score and uh, the story got out. Uh, since the 90s, we had uh, Derepa, we had Savelli on Persianzionalny uh, channel, uh, and they used to comment the Olympics, and they used to comment them all, all Olympics, all of them. Like I don't know how many how many sports there are, but let football aside, we only had like Champions League Dynamo games in the 90s, and that was like their rest or championship matches of Dynamo. The rest were not shown, like maybe some regional channels like in Odessa, they would come on for themselves. But the thing we had, the professional situation, roots of the situation in commentating are coming from the Olympics uh, and commentating anything you have. And imagine doing that without internet back then, you're right? So you have some salo, you have some uh, Chinese noodles, you have like 50 grams of vodka and there you go. So talking about a guy who commentated in, in his good health, in his uh, clear mind, in his, uh, well, he lives nearby the studio, so he's probably a good neighborhood still. <laughs> and he just did it to uh, rescue, uh, to, you know, it's an emergency situation to help a friend. And I couldn't judge him based on what I just said about how it all looked like uh, back in the day. So, of course, there are guys who would do that, but, you know, it's much, much worse when you're just commentating and you don't give a thing about what you're talking about. And that is more obvious, and that happens much, much more frequently. So I have no um, 
no sorrow for Yuri Kirchenko. He is uh, he should continue working, and that's what he uh, is doing, as you guys said, and for Migogo. So all the best to him. We, using a moment, would like to announce for the interview with com sport commentator of Megogo, com lady commentator Halina Winnichenko, because you know we spoke a lot about the man commentator about their like some fuck ups, like with like Yuri Krichenko. Usually in in such a case, we like oh we had a we had a Yuri Krichenko. I think before this situation, most people don't know about him even. Um, I made this interview and uh, Halia. Really impressed me because she's the first lady in would speak in like nowadays who become a football commentator on Ukrainian TV. It was like one month ago, and really for Ukrainian football, it's a really big event. Maybe if there wouldn't be a war, it would be like something really sensational, really. Um, unique situation, more unique than Yuri Skrachenko two games <laughs> in the same time. <laughs> but I spoke with Hala, I saw a couple of her games and she really makes a great job. So, uh, by the way, she, mom, she had a child, so can you imagine how it's difficult for now in Ukraine where you have a war, you have a little child, you still work like a commentator, and like she, she, she also has the two jobs <laughs> and uh, working with the games with the French, with the championship of Spain, with the European Cups and, and even uh, football national teams. So we could say everybody has some, some situation on their work, you know, everybody, maybe not like Yuri, but everybody of us had some, you know, some adventures. I thought that Satanta and Magogo and Yuri would make in the end, you know, some some fun from that. <laughs> Something else I'd like to touch on that has been obviously quite um, relevant in the news this week has been Ukraine, UAF reporting on Iran to UEFA saying, hey guys, please can we get your keys, can we get Iran banned for the use of their drones? in Ukraine on civilian and civilian infrastructure. Similarly, for human rights violations, albeit we know exactly sort of the kind of reaction that FIFA are going to give back. They're just probably either going to ignore it or reject it, especially with the World Cup coming three weeks uh, away. On top of that, you can see the fact that, especially with the human rights sort of record question, with it being held in Qatar, so... That seems extremely unlikely. As well, uh, UAF has asked on uh, Russia to be, you could say, banned from FIFA infrastructure as well. So obviously, FIFA clubs and national teams are suspended from uh, tournaments and all that at the moment. However, the RFU is still allowed to participate in things. And, you know, that was just as confirmed with the fact that they have been uh, granted, well, Match TV, uh, owned, I think, by Gazprom, so state-owned uh, Russian football channel, has been um, given the rights to the World Cup for 2022. So the fact that FIFA will be acting on anything uh, to Russia in terms of a further ban or even upholding this Iran thing seems extremely unlikely. And I've seen a lot of questions about, hey, if Iran are banned, who's... Uh, 
who's going to take their spot. And Shakhtar came out saying that Ukraine should get it last week. But I think that was all a bit sensationalized to sort of get the story out about Iran in the first place. UAF's record didn't mention anything about Ukraine taking the spot. And I think that's very much correct, because logically it would be if Iran were removed, it would be a Asian nation. However, overall, sadly, I think that there probably will be no action on this. Iran will take place in the World Cup and hopefully their players can show some kind of uh, protest with everything that's happening in their country. And hopefully uh, soon there will be a regime change and more liberation and freedom and um the country also takes an anti-russian stance in the future but sadly uh they're currently cooperating with ukraine and that's how things are you're talking about yeah you know, all these stories going on but what happened in with the rook press conference andrew well uh Grigory kozlovsky the rook owner decided to call a press conference last week about about everything he said it was sort of he dubbed it time for change and it was sort of like a well every, you know going into it it sort of seemed like a political kind of broadcast or some sort of a debate show where everyone can ask anything but in the end it was three hours long uh, sadly I didn't watch all of it uh, as much as I would have loved to I do not have much time that much time to do, devote to listening to Hrore Kozlovsky talk um, at length about multiple things there was a lot of uh, should Pavelka leave the UAF president role? Who should replace him? Uh, Roman Zozulia being mooted. Um, other people, lots of problems about uh, corruption in refereeing. Uh, but it was all a bit of a one-man show. Whilst there were a lot of valid points that Hrvore Kozlovsky obviously gave in this, the fact that it's coming from him sort of you know adds this dimension that it's just this bit of war between different clubs fighting for opinions and then <laughs> trying to get someone new in that UAF who might be a bit more favorable to their club when you know I think there Hrvory Kozovsky himself has had a lot of um, controversies him on his own in football over the past few years so there's that on top of it, it just, you know, I don't think there was much result out of it. It was it was a press conference. Not many actions have taken place so far. There's been some news that apparently um, uh, Andriy Pavelko's house has been searched and his offices have been searched. But whether, and also rumours coming out of Brutal Football, I think their sources claim that Andriy Shvichenko is being lined up by Zelensky to replace Andriy Pavelko. Any, whether any of this is true... We'll see in the coming months if anything does happen, but I really don't think that it will. Andy Pavelko is quite a seasoned politician. We know what he's like and he's got experience in all of this stuff compared to the likes of um, Sidhi Bobka, who's apparently leaving his post as the president of uh, the Ukrainian Olympic Association after literally saying nothing uh, since the war began. So that's sort of a completely slightly different thing i saw some people trying to compare the two and all that lot but it is something to keep an eye out for and i'm sure that this sort of questioning and all these sort of issues with refereeing with uh controversies whether the likes of luciano lucci who, who's been in the role for over 10 years is actually doing his job properly uh and everything else will continue unabated um probably for a, a long time 
but we'll, we'll have to wait and see over the coming months whether anything actually comes of it. Thank you for that, Andrew. It was uh, going to be an interesting story to watch over over the coming months. Um, let's talk about Selesnyov, shall we? Because last year we were hopeful that he would push the all-time goal-scoring record for the UPL. And uh, he's gone a bit quiet last this year. Am I right? He spent more time uh, sort of feeding himself up than playing football? Or have I been sort of misled there? I hear they serve a good Banach and Bogorich in Zagarbaja, so why not? All power to him. Uh, as long as he doesn't mix it with uh, too much uh, booze, which he obviously does, so it's even better. Anyway, uh, the, the picture I saw with him and Subutsky is one game, and Subutsky is a former uh, business president who was banned from football or something. We visited the city, his city, and uh, we heard plenty of stories about him uh, during our trip last year, but the thing is, when I saw them both, I thought, like, this is what we need to put on cover of a Glory Studio magazine to represent Ukrainian football, but we obviously did not. But it's a really, really... Um, the picture which speaks for itself. I forgot the adjective. Sorry, guys. Being speaking too much Spanish. Ah, that's it. That's it. You keep you keep dropping that in, don't you, right? Just a sorry state to what looks like the end of his career. I certainly don't see him hitting the, the record now, Andrew. Yeah, he's not been in the Manai squad for since, like, I think he featured a bit at the start of the season and now he's not been included in a squad for a long time. Apparently got injured in that charity friendly that he was playing in the photo that Ray was talking about, where he didn't look the freshest um, either. And you think that was... he could fit in the squad kit? <laughs> no, he doesn't look that bad. He just looked um, a bit hungover if you could say that in the photo. Um, so I think that says a lot. And we know Volodymyr Sharan, he doesn't take any nonsense from anyone. So I'm sure um, that probably has got something to do with it. And just one more thing, I think before we end the show, uh, I just want to touch on something that me and Ray were discussing earlier this week. Krivabas, uh, to celebrate 30 years of their... Um, promotion to the UPL released a brand new kit and a new badge which is sort of quite unique for Ukrainian football uh, a lot of teams don't go for any sort of fun initiatives like this um, usually but Krivbas as we know that how well their media and marketing team get up to they're always top-notch they did a great photo shoot around all the landmarks in Krivirich in the you know the the craters um, of the quarries, uh, outside the train station, outside some of the opera house and other places. And then uh, what happened was a week later, uh, this weekend just gone, Zoria was celebrating 50 years of their, uh, you could say, Soviet top league title which was at the time in 1972 a massive shock because Zoria were like the first team outside of the big traditional cities to win the Soviet title it was like they came out this tiny little province's side and won it all and everyone was like wow amazing so Zoria decided to post on their social medias um the badge that the club had in 1972 and obviously that badge still uses the Russian language. Uh, so it said Zarya Luhansk or Lugansk, if we're going to be saying it in Russian. Um, however, we've got some caveats going on here. 
Luhansk was not actually the name of the city in 1972. It was Voroshilhrad. They used the same badge, but with uh, Voroshilhrad on the text. Whereas Zorya decided to use the 1990 version, which was the one year that they used it when they revamped it and changed the text at the bottom. Then Krivvas decided to comment on Zorya's Instagram post relating to it, because we know about this feud that they've got about the fact that Zorya are the only team, I think, in Ukrainian professional football that still has a, a badge that's in Russian. And there has been an alternative badge that has been created by uh, Zorya FC, a fan page that has got Zorya and Luhansk with a sort of a Miaki Znak involved in it. So that could have been used all of these years, but for whatever reason, they don't like to use it. Krivabas have continued their sort of uh, feud with the team, saying, hey, can you carry on? Can you stop using Russian in your badges, guys? You could have used uh, Ukrainian and just sort of altered it slightly to make it look uh, retro, regardless. Uh, and then they were then they added, I think, an unnecessary line saying you're basically sort of Russian agents or some sort of this sort of very pro-Russian line, which I think was slightly unnecessary. But hey ho, um, do you think it's ever going to change, Ray? Uh, it's good that you brought that up, Andrew, because I just uh, realized that that's the story which has every aspect of Ukrainian football in it. You have the almighty club uh, backed up by the president, the government, uh, the money, obviously, the budget. Uh, that's four, actually, yeah? four aspects. It, it's all about Krivbas, uh, which is not a top club, which uh, is a club which not, uh, does not play well recently. And uh, but uh, they can afford to produce kids because of the reasons I mentioned above. And you have a club which is uh, um, playing well, on the other hand, usually playing well, Zoria, but they have uh, lost their um, talented manager, Oganov, who obviously didn't care much about outfits and uh, speaking less about the kids. Because imagine if you change the badge during the season, you need to reproduce all the kids. And that's impossible uh, for Zoria, maybe for some other clubs, but pretty much it's the Ukrainian thing with like uh, even the badge. Uh, sometimes you don't even need to have a badge on your kids. So, yeah. And uh, you have everything else around those two clubs, uh, which uh, is uh, not eloquent at all, not expressive. Like they don't care about the situation. Like we've been discussing for quite a while now in our pod, but that's really, sim that's really symbolic. Uh, for Ukrainian football, because um, that's the fuss out of nothing, basically. It's important, like, you need to change the language on your logo, but Zoria will say that we don't care, and uh, it just it would just go on and on. Um, it's funny that we discussed this matter after, right after Kozlovsky, because Kozlovsky didn't tell us much, right? She, just that um, maybe it's something new, some the new power in Ukrainian football being born, Ruch and Krivbas marching on, next season we'll see but still um it's um so so local what a wonderful way to bring the pod to an end there right thank you so much but before we go today we, we have to mention the wonderful work we've been doing with our our good friends at glory in producing the, the ukraine edition of their fantastic football travel culture magazine 
we've had a lot of, I wouldn't say fun, but it's been a really enjoyable experience working with them to highlight all that's great about Ukrainian football. And we can't do enough to, to persuade all our listeners to go out and purchase a copy. If there's one thing that will we'll just, just push you over the line is that all the profits from the magazine will go towards uh, the humanitarian support for Ukraine in the fight against the evil invaders from the East. And every penny, every dollar, every euro that you spend will be going towards support in the country that we all love very dearly. So go out there, order it online at Glory's website, and it will be brought to you no matter where wherever you are in the world. And we can guarantee you it will be a great read. Now, Irina, thank you so much for joining us, <laughs> taking time out of your very busy schedule. Uh, I, I look forward to hearing your reports and wish you great luck over the next 48 hours in Warsaw. And uh, Thank you very much for a great conversation. It was really a pleasure to hear you now. Uh, wish peaceful sky for everybody and a victory. Andrew, are you off to Poland this week? I am. I'll be there soon after people will be listening to this podcast. Um, happy Halloween, everyone, of course. Uh, and also, fingers crossed for some positive results in Europe so that the coefficient goes up. And right, been great as always, mate. Hope you're hope you're still being able to connect to Ukrainian football over the next few weeks as well. You got no excuse missing out now on those nighttime European Champions League games. I have. I have no excuse on missing out the PFL tournaments. That's what I have not, for sure. Version through Haliha, go, go ahead. Uh, thanks for having me. And just to encrypt your message earlier, Adam, uh, the evil invaders from the East is Russian Federation and the country we all love dearly is Ukraine. Until next time, everyone at home, I hope you take care, stay safe. And until then, goodbye for now. Goodbye.